Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Says, then the men did so, verse 10. They took the two cows, they hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. They set the ark of the Lord on the cart, the chest with the gold rats and the images. And then verse 12, the cows headed straight on the road to Beth Shemesh, went along the road. And the, the Philistines followed right behind until it got to Beth Shemesh. Can you just see the, this group of men, you know, following this ark with the cows? I mean, you, you can picture it in your mind. And they're just going, wow, what, what, I've never seen anything like this before. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ. In our lesson today, we learn how the Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Beth Shemesh and were able to witness a miracle. Two cows pulling the Ark of the Lord, who never pulled a cart before, either alone or together, left home and marched the 10 miles or so to the city they had never been to. They left their own calves without feeding them. They traveled on a certain road with never a wrong turn. They never stopped and turned aside into the fields to feed themselves. God can do anything to unfold his purposes. Now here's Pastor Rob. The means, folks, is so important. Never try to circumvent to make things quicker. If God has you going a different way, you'd better be obedient because you're going to go back to kindergarten again for remedial courses. This is an interesting thing. When I was in kindergarten, this is a true story. I went through kindergarten, and I was going to advance on to first grade. But guess what? They told me that I was immature and that I wasn't ready for first grade. I had to actually repeat kindergarten again. It's a true story, because whenever my teacher would turn her head, I would run out the door, and she wouldn't even know that I was gone, or she didn't know where I went. And I would play in the park across the street where I lived all day until the kids came home from school. And I was even smart enough to get a couple, my friend, John, who lived across the street. He had some papers, you know, the papers that you get when you're drawing and doing things, circling different colors and stuff. He would give me some of his papers, and I would look like I went to school. And I did this for a number of times until they finally caught up with me. And then I was busted. I was immature. I had to return back to kindergarten again. Kindergarten, folks. So, but notice verse 8 back in our text. It says <laughs> that the ark of the Lord, they set it on the cart. And they put the articles of gold in it for the trespass offering. And did you, did you know that God never required gold as a trespass offering? To the Jews, God had a very prescribed thing. We won't go into it tonight, but in Leviticus chapter 5, if you look at the first six verses, there was a very specific prescribed thing for a trespass offering. And of course they didn't know because they were pagans. They were doing the best that they could, but God never required the gold. They could have kept it for themselves. 
All they had to do was get the thing out of there and, and give it back to Israel, and they all would have been, probably been just fine. And they probably would have healed quicker if they gave their heart to the Lord and repented of their deeds, right? But God cannot be appeased by gold or things that are valuable to a man. What does it say in Psalm 51? You did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You did not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. See, God is more concerned and interested about true devotion and repentance. He's more interested in that than anything we can possibly do. Anything we can possibly do. You can read uh, Isaiah chapter 1, the, uh, verses 11 through 20, and it kind of uh, brings that even more into, into view. But notice what they said in verse 9. And watch. If this cart with the oxen, you know, the milk cows attached to it, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us, and it happened to us by chance. Do you see the if-then statement that's there? Underline those two words. And notice it says, and watch, if. Circle the word if. And then after, uh, after Beth Shemesh, circle then. If. <laughs> if it goes up to the road. Here they are, this chance. If it goes, then. So they're already a assuming a cause for this. If this happens, then this is what it means. It would have been better if they had just obeyed the Lord and they could have bypassed the whole thing. But notice that God gives these conditional statements to his people too. I call them if-then statements. They're conditional statements. It means that God says, if you do these things, then I will do this. Sometimes God has non-conditional or unconditional statements where he tells Abraham, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. And there's nothing you can do to make it happen. This is my promise to you. I'm going to make of you a a great nation. I'm going to make of you, uh, your your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea, like the stars in heaven for multitude. That's an unconditional promise. But there were other promises where God says to the children of Israel, if you do this, then I will do this. And there's our responsibility. There's our obedience. There's our devotion. And it's always good to obey the Lord. Obey him, even when it, it, it hurts you. Obey him, even if you don't like what's going to happen. Because believe me, the harder thing to do is to be obedient. It is always easy to do the wrong thing. It's easy. You don't have to think about it. You're born with it inside of you. This old nature that's within you is so willing to just do the, the easy thing. It's easy. Just let it slide, man. Just forget about it. Everybody's doing it. I mean, what's your problem? Are you holier than thou now? Have you heard anybody tell you that? (laughs) Doing the right thing always is more difficult. It's always going to cost. And believe me, that is worship in itself. But there's no such thing as luck or chance. It says, Then the men did so, verse 10. They took the two cows, they hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. They set the ark of the Lord on the cart, the chest with the gold rats and the images. And then, verse 12, the cows headed straight on the road to Beth Shemesh, went along the road. And the, the Philistines followed right behind until it got to Beth Shemesh. Can you just see the, this group of men, you know, following this ark with the cows? I mean, you, you can picture it in your mind. And they're just going, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, these are cows that have never been yoked. And their their young ones are locked up. And they care about those young ones. God put it in them to do that. And yet now they are going without them to a place that we didn't even hit them in the rear end with a switch. 
we just put the thing on there and hooked them up, and they just started walking. Miracle of miracles. Lowing as they go, content. Mm. Mm. It was a divine test. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. They lifted their eyes, saw the ark. They rejoiced to see it, of course. It was one of the greatest things that, you know, for them to have their ark back after being lost to their enemy for seven months, right? The ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there, and a large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart, and they offered the cows as a burnt offering. Well, that sounds kind of like a bad deal for the cows. And the Levites took the ark of the Lord and, they, and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold. They put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day. And, and who knows if these men were really Levites or not, so they're probably not doing things exactly the right way either. But now at least the ark is in, in Israel's hands. It says, verse 16, So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day, probably wiping their forehead and going, Phew! Finally, we got that thing out of our out of our out of our way. These are the golden tumors, the golden hemorrhoids. That's kind of nice to say. Let's say it again, just because it's fun. Golden hemorrhoids. Golden hemorrhoids. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. Notice verse eighteen. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords. We already mentioned those five cities. Both fortified cities, country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark. Notice verse 19, though, a minor chord is struck because the men of Beth Shemesh, and you know, honestly, I would be one of these guys that was struck down by God because the curiosity would kill me, literally. Uh, if, if I knew that the ark was there, in fact, if I was... If I was mischievous and I went to Israel and we went down into the underneath, you know, we, we make this, we go down what they call the rabbi's tunnel, and there's all kinds of little places where you can sneak off and get lost underneath the Temple Mount. I'd love to do that just for fun. But then to find the ark, maybe covered up somewhere, wouldn't that be nice? And then just because I'm a Gentile, I know better, but, you know, I would have this desire to want to go peek, to open it up. It'd be like Indiana Jones where my flesh starts to melt off my face, you know. I'd be one of those guys that would be toast. But I'd be in glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'd be one of those people that would want to do that. But that's what they did. They looked inside the ark, and he struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And Because uh, only Aaron and his sons, uh, which were of the Kohathites, they were to cover the articles in the Holy of Holies. Um, later on, when the, when, the, um, when the priesthood would get set up under David and it would be more um, official, they would actually be the ones that would cover these things. And, and there would be another group of Kohathites that would move it when it was time to move. But they weren't even allowed to peek in it. Not even, the, not even Aaron and his sons, they weren't allowed to open that ark. Once it was done, it was done. They weren't even to look inside of it. So much less these gentlemen who probably weren't even Levites themselves, perhaps. Or if they were, they weren't Levites of the Kohathites. They weren't high priests, like, but they weren't even supposed to look inside. And so God is serious about these things. We tend to think that God says something and he really doesn't mean it. 
or that we don't have to obey him. He let the, the Philistines get away with putting the thing on an ark because they didn't know any better. But the people of God knew better. And therefore, too much is given, much is required, right? When we know to, to do good and we don't do it, it's evil, isn't it? It's sin to us. And that's really what it was for them. And so, you can look in Numbers chapter 4, uh, verses 15 through, 7, 15 through 20, actually. Numbers chapter 4, 15 through 20. And that really talks about that it was only the Levites that were to do those things, to carry those items and to do those things. And notice here it says that he struck, God struck 50,070 men of the people, and, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Now there's a, a problem here because uh, in some versions of the Bible, specifically the NIV and a few Hebrew manuscripts, there's a copious error, they think, maybe. And some believe that it's only 70 people that were put to death here. However, um, in some Hebrew manuscripts, 50,070 is still there. But I don't know, I, I kind of, you know, because there's some question about whether there were that many people in that, in that small little town. And it could be. It's easy to uh, make a little mistake of the pen. Literally, one little twist of a pen can mean 50,070 or just 70. Remember, the original manuscripts were flawless, but where these little nuances come in is when they translate from those original sources, which we don't have really any more of those um, original manuscripts. I mean, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls and some New Testament fragments left, but the Old Testament, like in First Samuel, we don't have any that are extant, that are available to us today to look at, as far as I know. And so when they made those copies, just one little switch of the pen, so it's really not the... The Word of God itself, it's the, it's the human element after the fact that's copying it, right? But either way, it doesn't really matter. Does it really matter whether it was 70 people or 50,070? It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, granted, you don't want that many people to die, but it says it was a great slaughter, so I don't have a hard time with it just being 50 and it being a great slaughter, but if you only have 20 people in your town, maybe 50 is a great slaughter. <laughs> it means you had some visitors and they died too, <laughs> Right? So we don't really know, but it really doesn't matter too much. And I love the fact that the Lord is no respecter of persons. Whether it's, you know, his own people. He's not going to show favoritism. Verse 20, it says in the... And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, before this Jehovah God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they had a healthy respect, a healthy reverence for it as well. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Now come down and take it up with you. And so that's exactly what happens. And it stays there in the house of Abinadab for, um, we're going to see in the next chapter that it says that it was 20 years. But it was actually more like 100 years. Because there's probably been another, another 20 years before, it would, before Saul would be king. Saul was king for how many years? 40 years. And then after Saul, there was David. When did he get coronated? When he was 30. So now we're looking at 70 or 80 years right there. And it was after that that David went and got the ark from Obed-Edom, or from Abinadab's house, 
I'm sure generations had had the ark in their house, and David decides to go get it. Does it wrong the first time. We read that. Then he brings it out, and the Lord smites Uzzah. They don't get it very far, and they're like, boy, we better stop and refigure out what we're going to do here. So they put it in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. They put it in his house, and it was there for three months while David regrouped and thought about what had happened. But isn't it wonderful how, how gracious God is in spite of all these things? I love that I'm a recipient of his grace, aren't you? Because you know what? Grace is what changes people. The grace of God. The law of God doesn't necessarily get the job done. The law of God brings fear. But I love it when you're fearful and God puts his hand on you. Remember when the prophets, when they would come across to an angel, even an angel of God. This happened to Jeremiah. It happened to Ezekiel. It happened to John. John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. He was completely blown away, standing in the front and in the presence of an angel, which in his likeness was very unlike anything he'd ever seen before. And the natural inclination is to worship that, because even an angel would blow us away in this room. All of us would be tempted. If an angel appeared, we would be completely blown away at the presence of this beauty and this awesome effulgence. But he would put his hand and say, don't worship me. You worship God. Isn't that what they said to these three brothers, these three prophets? Don't worship me. I'm just a worship God. Worship him. But it's interesting, too, just to see how in this chapter we see so much superstition in the lives of, of the pagans. And even in, um, all throughout the world, just something to think about. Again, you know, as you go about your day tomorrow, you know, some of these things are so baked into us because of our backgrounds. That's not going to send you to hell. Do you understand? So don't be freaked out about that. Because there's only one thing that's going to send us to hell, and that's rejecting Christ up to the very last moment of our last breath we take. That's what, that's what does it. It's not these little things. Now, as I come across these things, I'd like to be challenged by them, and I'd encourage you too, because it'll just, pure, it'll just sanctify you even further by thinking about these things and making changes. And we give glory to him when we do that, right? Because then I'm not putting my faith in some kind of causation, other causation. I'll be giving thanks and saying, Lord, you're the one who allowed this. You're the one who's responsible for the good things, the bad things, everything in between, Lord. You're responsible. You're guiding and directing I don't quite understand it, but I know that you're a God, and I can trust you. Can you trust the Lord? Do you love him? If you love him, let's obey him. Let's obey the Lord and give our whole heart to him. Let him sanctify every area, every room. Is there a room somewhere in your heart that you're just like, Lord, I'll, I'll give you everything, but there's a few things that I'm just not ready. No, and he's not going to say, well, I'm done being your God then. He's not going to do that. He's going to take so patient with us. Sometimes he allows decades to go by. There are people, including myself, where I've had rooms that I've held the key, and I've locked it away, and I've hid the key. I thought I could hide it from God. I'd hide it. I'd hide the key and say, I'm not going to give that to you. And he's like, okay, Rob, I'll take what you got. 
whatever you want to give to me, I'll take. And then there comes a day where he just starts to knock on the door of your heart and like, when are you going to give that up? Mm, I don't know. Not now. Okay. See you in another five years. <laughs> five years goes by. Hey, Rob, what about that thing that you, that bitterness of heart that you've got towards so-and-so? Oh, Lord, you know I've been stewing about that for years. I've never forgiven that person for what they did to me, what my relatives said to me. I've never forgotten it. And, mm, and at Christmas time and Thanksgiving, I just want to... Mm. And the Lord goes, yeah, that's the thing I'm talking about, Rob. That's the thing. Why are you so bitter? Why are you so angry? Wasn't I gracious and loving to you when you were a rotten, nasty scoundrel? And I'll say, yes, Lord. He goes, no, why can't you do the same? Why can't you love that person who has wronged you? It was their fault, and yet you know that there's a problem between the two of you. What does the Bible say? Even when somebody has done something wrong to you, and time goes by, and you're still busted up with anger and frustration, why don't you just go to them and say to them, you know what, 20 years ago, (laughs) you said this to me, and it'll probably shock them. They're like, I did? Yeah, you said this, and it really hurt me. And you know what? I've been holding a grudge all these years. And it's just been stunting my growth. And I want to tell you that I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I tell you what. I've done that. And it does wonders to your relationship with the Lord first and with others. Is there anything? Listen, as we come upon this Thanksgiving holiday, I want to challenge you with something. You're going to be around people that you have problems with. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Identify that big thorn in your flesh that you've got a problem with, somebody at that table, and sometime during that day, would you get alone with them and say, hey, I've got to talk to you about something. You know, it's been a long time, but I want to tell you, I'm not here to pick a fight. I'm here to tell you I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Or, you know, you said something to me a long time ago, and I want to tell you it really hurt me. And give them an opportunity to remember because it's creating a problem between the two of you. Leave your altar at the, you know, leave your gift at the altar. Go to your brother. Get things right. That's what we're supposed to do, right? But do it. Get it right. Because you don't know how long you're going to be. You don't know how long that person's going to be around. Do it. Have the courage. Pray about it, and then just do it. Is your, throat, is your heart going to feel like it's up in your throat and your palms are going to be sweating? Maybe, but just do it. Be obedient and do the right thing. You're going to gain something out of it. It's going to be a blessing. Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the exhortation in your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word doesn't sanitize these things. Even the superstition that we see, um, certainly all throughout the Word of God at different times, Lord, we see this in action. Lord, it's not your fault. It's, It's the people. It's all of us, Lord. But Lord, forgive us for those times that we have put something else in your place. When we have said it must have been this, it must have been by chance, I just got lucky must have been a coincidence, Lord. May those things evaporate from our hearts and our minds. May, may the vocabulary terms just go from us, Lord. May we give all things and all glory to you. We thank you for tonight, Lord. And would you please, Lord, heal us. Heal our land. Protect us, God. Draw near to us.
bless this country. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.